Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome everybody to our Aliyah Day. For all of you precious people watching from across the fruited plain, it is a joy and a pleasure and a great honor to have you with me today. And uh, from wherever you're watching, I welcome you. We have not said in a long time, uh, or I haven't said it anyway, which is an Aliyah Day keeps the Yetzer Hara away. And I think that's going to be especially true today in the subject that we're going to be covering uh, for the most part this morning, Baruch Hashem. I also want to remind you at the outset, because sometimes I forget to say this, and maybe I'll, I'll remember today, but uh, be sure and like these videos, and be sure and share them with your friends and family. That is a huge help to get the word out to... Uh, Help people to learn Torah, uh, specifically Torah that is that is um, a, a Torah uh, centered on Messiah Yeshua. That would be fantastic. A Torah that believes that the Messiah Yeshua is the Mashiach of Israel. That's great. And so we'd love for you to be able to do that and like the videos, share them with your friends and family. It's always, always a huge help. And I would just ask you and please remember not to forget to do that. Such a wonderful uh, thing to do. Baruch Hashem. We are in Parashah Matot Maseh. It's a double portion Parashah. And being a double portion, uh, obviously there is so much to say. We're not always able to get to every single thing, but we do our best and we believe that Hashem helps us to hear and learn what we need to learn from God's eternal and everlasting Torah. If you have the Art Scroll Chumash, we are on page 905. And we're going to be reading from uh, the 31st chapter, beginning in verse 13 of um, the book of Bamidbar, the book of Numbers. We're going to just read the uh, third Aliyah from Matot today, and for the, for the sake of time, I'm going to lead, leave rather the uh, third Aliyah of Masay to you. So, <clears throat> it says... Moshe, Eliezer the Kohen, and, and all the leaders of the assembly went out to meet them outside, uh, outside the camp, it says. And Moshe was angry with the commanders of the army, the officers of the thousands, and the officers of the hundreds who came from the legion of the battle. And Moshe said to them, Did you let every female live? Behold, it was they who caused the children of Israel, by the word of, of uh, Bilaam, to commit betrayal against Adonai regarding the matter of Peor. And the plague occurred in the assembly of Adonai. So obviously he's upset because you let live the, the, the very ones who caused the fall to begin with. So it says, so now, in verse 17, so now kill every male among the young children and every woman fit to know a man by lying with a male, you shall kill. But all the young children among the women who have not yet uh, known lying with a male, you shall, you may keep alive for yourselves. And as for you, and camp outside the camp for a seven-day period, whoever killed the person or touched the corpse shall purify yourselves on the third day, and on the seventh day, you and your captives. And every garment, every vessel of hide, every, uh, everything made of that which comes from goats, and every vessel of wood you shall purify. And Eliezer the Kohen said to the men of the legion who came to the battle, This is the decree of the Torah, which Adonai commands Moses, 
Only the gold and silver, the copper, the iron, the tin, the lead, everything that comes into the fire, you shall pass through the fire and it will be purified. But it must be purified with the water of sprinkling, that is, uh, toveling the dishes in a mikvah. And everything that would not come into the fire, you shall pass through the water. Again, that's toveling through a mikvah. And you shall immerse your garments on the seventh day and become purified. Afterward, you may enter the camp. Just an interesting note about this particular section is that many people who are new to Judaism, uh, they believe that when they, they, they learn about kosher laws, let me, let me back up for a second. People that are new to, new to Judaism learn about kosher laws, and uh, they, they see that in Judaism, uh, we separate dishes, we have meat dishes, we have uh, dairy dish dishes, and then maybe they hear about the fact that we have to sanctify our dishes, and we, we, we tovel them in a mikvah, and so on. You could buy a, a new dish, for instance, or a set of dishes, or whatever, from a, a store. Before you should use them, you should tovel them. And so some people think, well, that's just rabbinic things. Those are just rabbinic uh, edicts. Those really aren't part of uh, the Torah. And uh, I just want to point out that that, uh, of course, is not true. Just like the meat and dairy separation. Many people believe that meat and dairy separation is a rabbinical uh, addition and a, a rabbinical tradition. But in fact, it's not. Meat and dairy um, separation is actually Torah law. And by the way, this has always been understood by Judaism for all time. And just not to get off on the topic of meat and dairy separation, but I should just mention about this, that no Judaism, no branch of Judaism, no sect of Judaism, not even the, the sects of Judaism who don't even practice kashrut, that nobody would say that you could eat kosher and not separate meat and dairy. So even if you're talking to a Jewish person and they themselves eat shrimp and all the other kind of stuff they're not supposed to eat, and you tell them, well, I eat kosher, and so they're talking to you and they say, oh, really? So you don't eat, have any cheeseburgers? And you say, well, I eat kosher, but I actually put the cheese on the burger. Then they would tell you, you don't eat kosher. Why? Because it's always been understood that meat and dairy separation is a matter of Torah law, not rabbinic law. And the same thing holds true here with respect to toveling dishes, having separate dishes, and, and having sanctified dishes, etc., etc. Et this is all Torah law. It's all derived from... Hashem's Holy Torah, not, not just quote-unquote rabbinic law. Uh, so I just want to point that out. All right, so that's the end of our reading. Now I want to go and share. There's so many, so many uh, points to share, and, and, we're, and to a large extent we're still talking about vows. <laughs> we still haven't gotten, we haven't gotten off of the, the vowel uh, topic yet. But let me see, where shall I start? I think I'll start with a Gudnik Humash. It's a very interesting insight here. Um, yes, this is where I left off yesterday. And so let me go back and read this Sparks of Hesudus they have here. Talking about the war against the evil that plagues us all. This is where I concluded yesterday. And I was mentioning the fact that when we were fighting against Midian, that everybody went to battle, including Levi, which was very... Unique. It's the first time ever. I don't recall another op opportunity. Maybe there, maybe there is. I'm just, I'm just forgetting it. Where Levy actually went to battle 
But this is it. So what is that? The sages say, why, why do we have Levi going to battle when otherwise he, he did not? He, can, he, he provides a thousand uh, foot soldiers. And so what's the deal? So it says, according to Hasidic thought, the war against the seven Canaanite nations alludes to the battles of refining one's overly undesirable character traits, which fall into seven broad categories stemming from the seven emotional faculties of the animal soul. Consequently, this war is not relevant to the tribe of Levi or to those who aspire to their spiritual level, as Rambam writes, that this could be any type of person whose spirit inspires him and he resolves in his mind to set himself apart from worldly pursuits to stand before God and serve him as his minister, to work for him and to know God. This is the laws of the sabbatical and jubilee year. In other words, what Rambam is saying is, that for all intents and purposes, full-time ministers, that would be, of course, rabbis, gabais, chazans, etc. Their full-time job is ministry. They set themselves apart for that. They kind of refrain from worldly affairs in order to, to devote themselves to, to, um, to serving the community. According to Rambam, what he's saying here is that any type of person who wants to do that, becomes, in effect, like from the tribe of Levi. All right. So it says, so this is why, by the way, so people say we, we pay the tithe, we're supposed to pay the tithe to Levi, and they don't understand why giving tithes to your local synagogue is the same thing. This is why. But that's a dig I, that's, I digress. That's, a, that's an aside. It says, in contrast, the war against Midian involved fighting against a subtle type of evil, which is found in virtually every personality, even those who dedicate themselves as full-time ministers, and the ministers is in quotes here, of God. Thus, even the Levites and those among the Jewish people who devote themselves to stand before God and to serve him as his ministers must participate in waging the spiritual war against Midian. So the question is, what is the subtle evil that can plague even the most dedicated servant of God? And this is the answer. Hasidic thought explains that this is a lack of unity and camaraderie between one man and another. Indicating underlying emotions of divisiveness and unjustified, or otherwise known as baseless, hatred. All this arises from a sense of overinflated self-importance, which causes a person to be intolerant of others and eventually view them as enemies. Clearly, the war against these attributes is very important indeed. And I think, my friends, that in the age that we find ourselves where we have the internet, we have the social media, you know, social media is good, social media is bad. Everything has a positive, everything has a negative. But I think the, un the unfortunate consequence of social media where everybody has their own Facebook page, they have their own Twitter they can constantly put out their opinions and expressions. And 
it seems to me, my perception of it is that it has caused this statement to become glaringly, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, obvious, uh, inflated or whatever in our, in our eyes, that, that we have developed an intolerance for other people and, their other, and other points of view. We're just intolerant of it. And we want to tear people down. We disagree with their point of view. We disagree with their opinion. And so what do we start doing? We start attacking their character. We start attacking, are they legitimate or illegitimate? Or are they, what school do they go to? Are they stupid or smart? You know, uh, that type of thing. And it, the root of this is, an, I love what it says here, an overinflated self-importance. That we see ourselves as far too important of course, we're special, that we, um, nobody is as good as us, and so, and obviously our opinions are always correct, there's no, there's never any, uh, any wrong in us, we don't, we have, we see everything at 2020, and we can't understand why all the other morons in society can't see it the way we see it, come on, that's how we think, isn't it, and so it's very, very uh, evil, and we have to war against this, you know, this attitude. And this is the attitude that, that has the potential, as it says here, of affecting us all. Even those who are dedicated to godly service and we spend our days working in that life, we still can be affected by this idea of an overinflated self-importance, which brings divisiveness and baseless hatred. In other words, we should be people who strive to our very best to just be people who are peaceful. And if we disagree, if you come across something, an article, a post, a video, if you disagree with it, move on. Why do you have to comment? Why do we have to comment? Why do we have to say something? Somebody has a legitimate question, answer it. It's just, uh, we find ourselves in a situation where we have to do, I just, I don't, you know, maybe I'm talking to the air right now, but the point being is we have to be careful, as we said in another, in another aliyah, that the problem with um, making comments or being critical or or what have you, is so very often there is an, there's an ego there. In fact, let me just read this from the K.O. Tumash. Um, it says, uh, let me just kind of, uh, let's see, I'm looking at some highlighted marks here. Let me just read this right here. The idolatry of Peor was essentially hedonism. What is hedonism? It says it's the indulgence and sensual pleasure as an end unto itself rather than for the higher purpose of experiencing divinity or infusing divinity into reality. The attitude toward life is the antithesis of the life work of, of Moses. Excuse me, I meant to say this attitude. This attitude towards life is the antithesis of the life work of Moses. Hedonism implies that physical pleasure... Physical pleasures are either too low and vulgar to serve divine purpose or 
are somehow off limits for the holy life. Moses, the channel through, through whom God gave the Torah, championed the truth that godliness can be and must be uh, exposed or brought to bear in all of reality. It must even dictate our approach to physical pleasure. In fact, if anything, Moses' life work proclaimed that it is specifically in the lowest end of creation that the potential for divinity is the greatest. Now, I want to pause there for a moment and say that this was the big revelation from Acts 10. If we read Acts 10 and, and we follow the story, uh, it's about the vision of the sheet and so on, had nothing whatsoever to do with food. I've taught on this many times, taught on it recently. But if we read into Acts 11, where Kepha is giving, retelling the whole story to the council about Acts 10, or the, or the vision of the sheet, going to Cornelius' house and everything that transpired. Not one time, not in Acts 10, nor in Acts 11, does Kepha ever mention food. He never ever says, oh, and by the way, I realize now what God was telling me is we can eat what we want. That was never a part of his, his illumination, his revelation. He never testified and said, you know, he never said anything about food, ever. He just simply said, it's a sheet, I couldn't understand what he was going to say. But he did say what the meaning was, and he said the meaning was God was trying to show me that he accepts the Gentiles. Now, why is this the case? Because the, the, the greatest sin of all, on all of Torah Judaism is idolatry. It's the greatest, it's, it's, it doesn't get any worse than that. Everything comes back to idolatry. It is the ultimate abomination. And so you have Gentiles, you have idolaters, and therefore there was an idea that they were the lowest of the low in the first century. And as I've ex expressed before, uh, Abraham actively sought converts. I think we're going to read a, 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 a statement about that in here in a moment, if I remember correctly. So, so the question becomes, why is Kepha confused as to whether or not you can accept Gentiles, because isn't that, isn't that central to Judaism? I mean, today Jews would say we don't seek converts, but that's never been true in Judaism. That's only a modern, a relatively modern idea. And, and that's just a fact. You can take that to the bank, look it up for yourself in the historical works. Jews have always sought converts, and, and very often sought them ardently and with great passion. The idea that Judaism is not, for lack of a better word, evangelical, is a, a, a gross historical falsehood. So what's the deal? And the answer is, because in Jewish thought, when the Mashiach comes, the door closes for converts. It's very simple. So, so Kepha thought, well, since the Mashiach has come, the Gentiles have, have lost their opportunity. And Hashem was trying to tell him differently. Okay, all that to say that at the end of Acts, or, or not really the end of Acts 11, but at the end of that discussion with Kepha and the, and, the, and the council, it says that the other members of the council, who by the way were the majority of whom were Pharisees, why? Because Yeshua was a Pharisee, and so were all the apostles. They all looked at each other and said, well, so then, God 
even accepts the Gentiles unto repentance. And it's an interesting phraseology because it says he, so he even accepts the, so basically, I mean, you're talking about the lowest of the low. In their, in their thinking, in their thinking, you couldn't redeem the idolater, at least not after Mashiach has come. The idolater did not have access to, to convert and come into the community. And so what we're learning here is that God's purpose is to go to the lowest point of creation and elevate it to a point of holiness. And so I'm just pointing out that in Acts 11, that seems to have been the, the mindset was, wow, what we just learned here is that if God can even take an idolater and bring him into the kingdom. Wow, that's, we didn't know that was the case. And so that's the big revelation. So to continue reading here, it says, He used this argument to wrest the Torah from the angels and expose their error and the error of the spies. So it says, uh, If we avenge the evil, that is, we repair the damage already done and root out any trace of its effect, uh, in life, the battle itself, therefore led by Phineas, because Phineas embodied zealotry and so on, it says the inspired zeal that makes a person incensed enough to go beyond the letter of law and even risk his life reveals a higher, purer level of motive and conscious than normal. So it goes on to say we need to emulate Moses and Pincus. For Moses, we learn to cultivate the proper Jewish attitude towards materialism and its sensuality. And from Pincus, we learn to attack its effect on us with righteous indignation. In other words, we've got to be balanced in our approach. And another thought here from the Kale Tumash, it says, the root, very simple truth I'm about to read. It's not profound, but as so often is the case, we don't need profound thought. We just need to be reminded. The root of baseless hatred is ego. It's ego. It says, an egocentric person feels threatened by anyone who opposes or seems to oppose his inflated sense of self. Any positive quality invinced by other persons diminishes his own importance. So the egocentric person will desperately seek Listen to this. Is this thing on? The egocentric person will desperately, say desperately, desperately seek to delegitimize the other person. Let me read this again. The root of baseless hatred is ego. An egocentric person feels threatened by anyone who opposes or seems to oppose his inflated sense of self. Any positive quality invinced by the other person diminishes his own importance. Therefore, the egocentric person will desperately seek to delegitimize the other person. Now, wow, isn't that so true, so powerful, so true, and uh, 
you know, here's what we need to do. When you come across people that have conflict in your life and, and you know, we talked about social media a, a moment ago and people uh, respond to your, your pictures, your posts, your whatever it is you're doing on social media or, or articles you're writing or whatever. And, and they say hateful things and they're just being ugly and, you know, whatever. And you have this indignation that rises up in you and you want to fight and you want to argue and you want to talk to about their point and blah, 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 blah. Don't. Don't. This is what you do. It's so simple and it's so refreshing. You simply delete their comment and you block them. And you go about your day. Because what you're dealing with is somebody who has baseless hatred. They're egocentric and they're just trying to delegitimize you. And the reason they're trying to delegitimize you is because they're threatened by you. They're threatened by your good qualities. They're threatened by your good word. They're threatened by whatever they're threatened by. They're threatened by because you have blonde hair or whatever. Who knows? It's their own psychotic problem for which they probably need to seek professional help, but it's not your problem. And rather than making it your problem, rather than disrupting your life, rather than wasting valuable hours of learning and growth and productivity on stupid machlochet that's going to do nothing but cause your blood pressure to rise, Delete the comment, block the person, pray for them if you'd like, and move on. I'm just telling you, and listen, trust me when I say that I have experienced this a lot, and I continue to experience it. It's almost like a daily thing. And naturally, because of what I do, that uh, I wake up and I've got all these different comments. And there's people out there sometimes they just, I don't, it's, I, I don't, I, I, I want to refrain from speaking about their motive or, or whatever. I just don't know. I, they, they, I just, they need help or something, I guess. But they want to go through and spam all your comments. And I, I have to spend 10 minutes erasing and blocking, erasing and blocking, erasing and blocking. So trust me, I know I'm talking about the point I'm trying to make. I'm not just telling you this to somebody who's never endured it. But you have to understand the psychological reason behind it. You think that they're attacking you personally. No, they're not. And by the way, from a spiritual point of view, we forget that in three different Gospels, in three different places, Yeshua said, they're going to hate you for my name's sake. Why do we forget that? As it says here in Rabbi Monk's commentary, Hashem's vengeance. So it's talking about here that when people attack Israel, what they're really attacking is Hashem. People think, well, they're attacking Jews because they hate Jews. See, People think that anti-Semitism is about Jews. 
I don't like Jews, anti-Semitism. They think it's about Jews. No, it's not. It's about Hashem. If they attack Israel, they're attacking Hashem. That's the point. It says here in Rabbi Monk's commentary, Moses replied that Midian persecuted us only because of the Torah and the mitzvot. So Yeshua HaMashiach said the same thing. He said, they're going to hate you. Why are they going to hate you? Why don't they love you? They would, they would love you only if you deny me. But even though they won't really love you. But the, the point being is they will love you, or they hate you rather, because of my namesake. So that's why he said rejoice. Rejoice in that. Be happy in that. Because if they're not hating you and they're not loving you, then that's not a good thing, actually. So we take this in the mind. We're, ta- we're here, here learning about Midian. We're talking about Midian and, and realizing that, um, you know, the, what, what's the root of the problem? One last thing. Can't believe I'm, all, I'm, I'm already out of time. There's so much to share. It's not fair. I'm gonna, we're going to get to it. Don't worry. We're going to come back to it. So much to share. So much to share about vows. I don't know that we're going to get out of vows all week, but... Or the, or the power of the tongue. Let me just share this one last thing here. It says Rashi comments that someone who kills a man takes his, his life in this world, whereas someone who causes him to sin takes his life from the world to come. Now, tomorrow I'm gonna get I want to get to Pituke Holtam. I'm out of time already, but tomorrow I want to get to Pituke Holtam because he has some excellent insights. Oh my gosh, so excellent. I can't wait, actually. No, I can't wait. But anyway, just stay tuned. Excellent insights about the power of speech and how it relates to the Shekinah. It's just very, very deep. But Yeshua said in Matthew 10, 28, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but be afraid of those who can kill the soul. Don't be afraid of the hater on Facebook or Twitter or your your blog or or the person who drives by on the city street and yells out a profanity because you've got a tackle on or you got to keep on. Don't what? Don't be afraid of that person. That person who can uh, be afraid of the person who has the ability to make you sin. Who wants to drag you into Lashan Hora, who wants to make you a, a bitter person, who wants to make you somebody who, who's constantly wasting your time, fighting people. Anyway, we're not supposed to be ha- concerned about those people who can kill the physical body. We're supposed to be kill- concerned about those people who can drag us into sin because that, my friends, is where the real death is. There's always going to be people out there that are going to try to lead us. There are always going to be Midianites. Always going to be Midianites out there. And we have to understand what the problem is. The problem is Torah. The problem is Hashem. The problem is their own issues. And just always remember that their issues are not your issues. And going back and forth with them, I know I talk about this a lot, but it's, I just have to say, going back and forth with them and getting into a fight with them 
on a, on a, on a post is going to do nothing to solve them. They probably need, and I'm not being facetious, they most likely, most of them need professional psychological help. I'm serious about that. I mean it. Most of them need psychological help. They're not, and, and who knows what's going on in their life. My friends, it could be all kinds of things. It could be social disorders from when they were little bitty children, marriage problems, work problems. You have no idea. And so that's another reason why you block, erase, delete, move on. That's part of judging favorably. Hashem, I don't know what's going on in their life, but man, they're really full of hate. I don't know. All right, block, delete, go on. Now, somebody got a legitimate question. That's one thing, but you got to be careful about that too because sometimes people's questions are just bait for arguments. I'm way over my time. So thank you so much for joining me today in the Aliyah Day. I hope this has been helpful. I really do. And I hope you have a beautiful day and stay positive and stay unified and stay... Uh, Hashem should help us to, uh, to not think of ourselves more importantly than we are. We're all special, like everybody else. Be sure and like this video and share it with your friends. And uh, come back tomorrow. It's going to be fabulous tomorrow. I just ran out of time today. But we'll get to Pituke Hotam, and it's going to be amazing. Shalom and blessing.